The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Hello friends and welcome to another episode of Bought the T-Shirt podcast. I am here in a very wet, I'm not going to say miserable, but rainy South London and I'm with the poet S.P. Howarth. Hello everyone, thanks for doing this Chris, this is uh, great, it's an honour to be here. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. So, S.P. or Steve, uh, and I've known each other for, gosh, a few years now. A few years, yeah, yeah. And Steve is one of, oh, SP is one of life's interesting characters because uh, he wears many hats. So, well, maybe you'd like to. <laughs> so we've got, we've got the poet SP Howarth, which is fascinating in itself. Steve's a poet. He's also a Krav Maga expert. Cage fighter <laughs> and uh, what do we call it? An artist model. An artist. Well, that's that's my bread and butter work. That's my yeah. my day job is uh, getting my kit off and yeah. being uh, being painted by art students and artists. Yeah, um, poetry's taken a bit of a back burner in the last few years. I, I don't. Uh, you know, I'm a kind of person who gets obsessed with things. You know, I have an obsessive personality and. Uh, Poetry, <laughs> maybe that's that's one of the things that uh, you know we you know we uh, saw eye to eye on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, kindred spirits in that respect. Poetry was a big obsession when I was uh, when I was in my teens and my early twenties, and I became obsessed with writing poetry and performing poetry, kind of being a stand-up poet. And uh, you know, when I get obsessed with things, I just want to find out all about them and. Uh, they sort of occupy all my all my time, and then poetry was an obsession for a while, and then more recently, martial arts became a, an absolute obsession. I'm not sure I'm a Krav Maga expert. I, I teach people Krav Maga, um, little kids and uh, and grown ups at Peckham Krav Maga. If you're in the Peckham area and you want some Krav Maga lessons, come and see myself and my business partner Vincent Basor, and uh, we'll sort you out with some Krav Maga training. And yeah, we'll put we'll put all the links in the in. Um all the links below. Yeah. So um, it, that's fascinating in itself. Gosh, there's so much to talk about. No, there's always things to talk about, mate. Yeah. But um, I mean, to be a poet is quite unusual. But it's also that you're being yourself, aren't you? You know, you're you're you're. It's um, quite genuine. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think when I get back to writing poetry and I will get back to it because I miss it a lot and it's something it's going to be my new year's resolution to read a lot more poetry and to do a lot more poetry and put it up on the internet put it on YouTube and whatnot um but I feel that when I was younger I 
I'm not sure I was speaking from my sort of true voice. I don't think I'd found it. I think I was playing a character. Um, you know, how when you're a young man, you have sort of pretensions about yourself and you have kind of, you have people historically that you idolise maybe for the wrong reasons. And I sort of, I felt SP Howarth had to be this uh, this kind of Byronic character who drank more booze than every other poet and, uh, you know, seduced more groupies than any other poet. And it was all... It was all really about a young man's sort of insecurity and pretension and uh, whatnot. It was quite fun playing that person for a while. You know, I look back on some of it and I, I think it's a bit silly uh, or very silly in, uh, in certain circumstances. I wanted to be this kind of rock star character. But uh, what I'm looking forward to now in terms of returning to poetry is I think I've found a truer voice to speak from. And, and martial arts was actually a big part of that because I think one of the nice things about martial arts is it, completely fucks up your ego it mm. completely destroys your ego particularly when i did things like brazilian jiu-jitsu and everyone says this about jiu-jitsu everyone says it because it's true it's cliche because it's it's true speak up yeah um you know when you when you first start doing jiu-jitsu and you just get crushed absolutely crushed by people you know uh, younger than you older than you um everybody kicks your ass and uh, and your illusions about yourself are destroyed and what's uh, although that's a painful process, you know, like they say, growth is pain. You you're forced to shed off the stupid ideas you had about yourself, and that makes you find who you really are. Yeah, I mean, one thing there is what I'm what I'm learning is you've got the the more of your ego you can shed and mm. get rid of, uh, and not act from it, the happier, more enlightened person you're going to be. Yeah. Oh, God, absolutely. All, yeah. all the bad things we do, or the negative things, come out of our ego, don't they? Or yeah. our lack of ego, whatever, whichever way around it goes. And so, yeah, our, our desire for validation. Yeah. You know, if you divide, I always say, divide your body in half. Your top half is your enlightened, um, positive self and actions. Mm. And your bottom half is your kind of animal. Uh, impulsive, uh, egotistical self. Mm, yeah. You've got to get away from letting the bottom half of you make your decisions in life. You've got to make them from this more positive, um, top area. Right. Um, so an idea of a negative below the belt action would be you're walking past a shop, you're hungry, you go and buy a load of chocolate. Okay. You know it's not good for you. You know right. it's full of sugar. You you know it's empty calories. Um, whereas your enlightened self is telling you, or your good angel on your shoulder is telling you, no, go and get a you know vegetable sandwich or or whatever you know whatever it might right. be. And um, yeah, we've got some noise in the background. Sound effects. It's real. It's <laughs> it's real. It's raw. Excellent. Background so, noise. So yeah, and it's um, it's it's a very good simple little rule to live your life by living in this 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 top half a guy i learned a lot of this sort of thing about is on youtube john st julian mm. he's well worth um well worth subscribing to his channel very nice I think he's a geordie lad yeah um but yeah so yeah so i mean this uh this fight i just done that's one of the most positive things i think i ever did um I just got done fighting. I had a fight. <laughs> a little, little scratch here. Um, it's the only damage I took though. Literally a scratch. I feel incredibly lucky. And, um, 
It's one of the one of the most positive things I've done. There's an organisation which is nationwide called Ultra, and it has many branches: MMA Ultra, Boxing Ultra. Uh, you can do stand-up comedy through it as well. They basically they put you through an eight-week training program to do an event, and you use your commitment to that event to raise money for cancer research, which is something I badly wanted to do. My mum's had cancer several times, unfortunately. She's still alive, she's still going strong. Um, but uh, I was aware this is a sort of sibling rivalry, I think, as well, because like my brother, like you, is an endurance athlete. He runs marathons and stuff like that. And he has done marathon events to raise money um, for cancer charities. And I always wanted to do something similar. I always felt like I had not uh, matched that in some way. But I'm, I don't have your gas tanker. <laughs> so uh, I, I chose fighting instead because martial arts was, you know, it's been my big obsession for the last few years. And I, I struggled with doing it for a while because I thought, can I take time off work? And uh, obviously to do the training, you need to take time off work. I'm, wasn't doing well financially recently, but fortunately I'm back on the straight and narrow. So, um, and I, I was at a time when I didn't have enough excuses not to do it anymore. I just thought you've got to stop making excuses or you're going to get too old to do this. So when you joined this organization, what was the name of it? Uh, Ultra. So the one I did Ultra. was MMA Ultra, but you can do a lot of different things. If you look up Ultra Cancer Research, uh, you can do an event that suits you. You can do ballroom dancing, you can do stand-up comedy, and it's all the same. You do a like an eight-week training program and then an event and um, you raise money by selling tickets to the event to your friends and family and by raising money through Just Giving. And so they set you up for a cage fight? Yeah. And was it just a one opponent? Yes, it was, yeah. It sounds like one one is enough. One is enough. <laughs> one was enough. Also, the bugger, right, he was uh, the guy that they set me up with. Um it's a matching up process. It's meant to be done. They, they try very, very hard to get you a suitable opponent. But the fact is, a lot of guys are in the room at the beginning of the training cycle. And gradually, the group gets smaller and smaller because guys get injured. Guys just decide it's not for them. They fail to meet their fundraising commitments, whatever it is. Gradually, the group gets smaller and smaller. And I, I wound up fighting a guy who was at least a foot taller than me, had God knows how much more reach. Uh, 12 years younger and uh, about 10 kg heavier. <laughs> so I was quite lucky to win in the first round. I'm very chuffed with it. Um, the, the, how is it going in there then? Are you, you know, are you nervous going into the cage? Do, do, at what point do you start thinking, oh God, this is real. I'm going to go and have to beat this guy's brains out or he's going to do that to me. What point right. do you start getting nervous? Okay, so... It's surprising with this, but actually I think having done poetry really, really helped, which you like might think, what the fuck has poetry got to do with, you know, fighting a guy in a cage? Well, it was because of that performance thing, because I'd done performance poetry, I'd done all kinds of venues, I did, you know, uh, I did festivals, I was on stage at festivals, I'd done pubs and clubs and, you know, uh, cabaret events while I was doing poetry, so I was used to being on stage. And I've done quite a lot of acting for theatre as well. I've acted Shakespeare, touring Shakespeare, all kinds of things. Me and Andrew Hobbs, uh, you should you should get on here at some point. We wrote a play together a few years ago and, and put it on and both acted in it. And I think because of that, I had less stage fright than my opponent. I'm not sure. His background was he was a chef. He's actually a sushi chef. And uh, I guess he wasn't used to being in front of a crowd, whereas I was. And actually, I, I kind of enjoy it. Maybe that's a bit of an ego thing as well. But I've always enjoyed being 
the guy on stage, I've always enjoyed that slightly gladiatorial thing of being up there in front of people. And if you fuck up, it's going to be humiliating. There's a yeah. buzz to that of, you know, everyone's watching you, which means if you're shit, you know, it's going to really, really hurt. And uh, so there was that, I think, because I was kind of used to being a performer, that helped. But the other thing that I'd never done before that I got quite into during this training cycle was uh, was meditation. Ah, very good. Because I heard uh, lots of other, you know, combat sports athletes now use meditation and hypnosis as a way of kind of visualizing the victory and that kind of thing and preparing themselves mentally for the big event. And uh, so I went on YouTube and looked up guided meditations for fighters. I'm, I'm still absolutely shit at meditation. I'm, I can barely do it, but I'm sure that... Uh, See, the, the, the positive self-talk thing, whether mm-hmm. it be through meditation, hypnosis, mm-hmm. um, not, not CBT, what am I thinking about? Uh, no, CBD is good as well. I've been oh, taking CBD. loads of CBD. <laughs> no. CBD is really good for muscular pain after training and everything. Recommend the CBD. I was yeah. thinking of, you know, this thing about the, the way you talk to yourself is the person you're going to be, right? Mm. There's, a, there's, a, there's a name for that slipped slip in my mind, but that's what sets fighters apart from, say, and I always use them as the example, the England football team, mm. who, whenever you see them interviewed, are like, oh, if we get a bit of luck tonight, you know, if the ball goes our way, and I think, what a terrible attitude mm. to go into such an important event, i.e. a football match mm. at national level. And you're saying if you get a bit of luck, if the ball... Mm. You know, whereas a boxer yeah. or a fighter is, I'm going in that ring, I'm <laughs> going to hammer you. Right. You know, you are going to die, mother trucker. <laughs> you know, there's, it's just... It's going to be a, 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 wipe, a, you know, a wipeout. Mm. Um, yeah, I find that, I find that interesting. The same with my endurance events is, is, it's from the start. I am going to do this. There's no other option. Right. You know, right. It has to be. And right. from that point, no matter what, how, I always say have a plan B that supports your plan A. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, it's very, very, but true. it's so important to start out with that right attitude. Yeah. Things might go wrong. Things might not go the way you plan, but if you don't start, as you mean to go on. Um, it was one of my MMA coaches, actually, at the KO Academy in um, in Stepney Green. And if you want some MMA training, that's a good place to go. Marcus Paul, who who was one of the guys who, who coached me for the fight, very good coach. And he said to me, nine times out of ten, the more confident guy wins. So MMA, mixed martial arts. Yeah. So that's what we see, Conor McGregor, this sort of... Yeah, exactly. Anything yeah. anything goes. What 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 is it you're not allowed to do? There's a couple of rules, isn't it? You can't... So my the, the rules for this fight, because they're amateur rules, are a little bit easier. Um, there's certain things that aren't allowed. You can't knee people in the face or elbow them in the face, for example. Um, in uh, professional mixed martial arts, there are fewer rules. You, you can't obviously kick someone in the groin, gouge an eye out. There's... There's a, now a, a unified set of rules. There's a new unified set of rules for MMA where you, you can't knee a downed opponent in the head and lots of things. You have to look them up. But uh, but it's some scary shit nonetheless. When I fought uh, in gradings to do Krav Maga, the Krav Maga rules are actually scarier than the amateur MMA rules. So how long have you been fighting? How When did you start the Krav Maga, for example? Oh, God. 
quite a few years ago now, but when I started, I wasn't very serious about it. I started it um, quite a few years ago now, but I didn't go to classes regularly. It was only when I started training with the Lasor brothers, which was three or four years ago, that I became really obsessed and wanting to go all the time and train. And their club is really good. It's called KNAX now, uh, Krav Maga Associated Combat Schools. And if you live in South London, they're very good people to train with. They're very nice guys. They're brothers. It's family business. Um, I work with Vincent at Peck and Krav Maga. It's a very good place to train. Very friendly. Uh, there's no, uh, you, you know, there's no macho ego bullshit about it. It's uh, just a group of normal people who want to get home safe at night and have fun and get fit. So for the benefit of our listeners, Krav Maga is the Israeli Defence Forces Martial Arts. Is that is that? Yeah, right it, it is. It's, it's a very interesting history, Krav Maga, and I can't believe no one's made a movie out of this. Someone has got to make a movie about the life of Imi Lichtenfeld because he was a very interesting character. What's his name? Imi Lichtenfeld. Um, he was, a, he was a Hungarian. He was a Hungarian Jew who was living in Slovakia at the start of World War II. And um, there was sort of the rise of fascism, the sort of rash of fascist countries throughout Europe. And uh, him and his fellow Jews in the Bratislava ghetto were targeted by fascist anti-Semitic thugs. And uh, Imi was a professional boxer and a wrestler and a gymnast. And he, he got his fellow Jews together and sort of did kind of, I suppose, a, a, a resistance movement. He taught them combat sports with a view to self-defense. And he went through many, many adventures and uh, eventually ended up in Israel after the war. And that's when he began to train the IDF and factor into Krav Maga all the best and simplest things from all the martial arts around the world. He spent the rest of his life studying all the world's martial arts and just picking and choosing things from them that were simple and effective. So almost a bit like Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do. Yeah, he was an innovator, just like Bruce Lee. He was, you know, as as I understand it, um, Bruce Lee was unpopular with some traditional martial artists because he innovated so much. You know, he was open-minded to bringing in different things from other styles and uh, had that kind of global approach where martial arts were like a buffet, you know, and you choose whichever foods you want regardless of, uh, you know, what your particular tradition is. So there's nothing Israeli in Krav Maga. There's nothing, uh, there's no combative or throw or grappling technique in Krav Maga, which is uniquely Israeli. It just happens that because he needed to train soldiers, which means you've got to train them quickly, uh, he wanted something that was easy for them to learn, that he knew worked. And he just had this open-minded approach of we'll have this, we'll have that. And if it's found that it doesn't work and something else does, the syllabus will never like be set in stone. We can cut things and bring new things in. It's like when you were in the military, how long did you, I know this, the answer this is a rhetorical question because I've read your book. Um, how long did you spend doing unarmed combat in your basic training? <laughs> yeah, this will surprise people. Uh, half, half a day. What well, I think one afternoon or one morning. Right. The guy, the PTI basically got us all on the mats in the mm-hmm. gymnasium. And you join the Royal Marines Commandos, you think you're going to be trained up to be some kind of ninja, right? Mm-hmm. Modern day samurai. And it's, it, 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 I think it's changed now because of the nature of the, the war in the Middle East, mm-hmm. where fellas have literally had to get hands on with the enemy. Right. Um, 
and you'd want to be ready to get hands on because if your weapon fails and you, you're getting overrun, mm. you're going to have to scrap, right? So, sure. so I think they've increased it now. But when I did it, it was this one afternoon, PTI just came down and said, right, fellas, uh, if you ever end up in a situation where you haven't got a weapon and you just got to use your hands to survive, you're pretty fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so, Instead, I'm going to teach you how to keep your end up in a boozer. <laughs> oh, great. And it was kind of, a kind of part of you went, yes, because you, you get this. I, I was talking to another uh, Marine buddy of mine the other day about this. You, It's quite a violent profession, mm. the Marines. I know that might sound obvious, but it's a bit more than the obvious. It's a mindset that you're always thinking about how do you carry yourself in social situations? Mm. And if this guy says this to me in the pub, you know, what am I going to do? Because I represent the Royal Marines or that's, you know, how your mind is sort of working. And so you do want to be able to defend yourself in the pub. Right. I mean, I mean, who doesn't? It's the barroom brawl scenario, isn't it? You yeah. want to, you, you know, you want to take on 10 guys and beat the fuck out of them yeah, with well, pool cues and, Glasses and everything. Yeah, and, that, and that, I mean, and I have had my more than my fair share of pub fights. My God, some successful, quite a lot. Not, <laughs> not, not very successful. Mm. But he came down, and I guess this Peter was teaching us taekwondo. Okay, it was the, the sort of if someone grabs you like this, you can get their hand, and if you if you turn it the thumb the certain way, it's like oh. Okay. And while you've got them in that ah uh, position, you give them a good smack in the bollocks. <laughs> every every move ended with two kicks to the groin. Yeah, well, that's quite crap as well. You know, kick to the groin is our flagship <laughs> flagship manoeuvre. Yeah, and it, it does work. One thing that's quite scary about when you do hard fights in Krav Maga, when you go up a grade to get a new belt, you quite often have to do a, a little fight within the club. And, um, yeah, kick, kicking the guy in the cup is not a foul in that fight. That's, uh, that's actively encouraged and it counts as a point. You know, it's, mm. uh, or not really a point. It's like they stop the match momentarily and go, right, if this was real, you would have lost because you wouldn't be wearing a groin guard and you'd, you know, you'd be in trouble. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting kicked in the groin, bloody hell. I, I learned very quickly doing Krav Maga that groin guards are one of those things in life where you can't afford to buy cheap. If you go to Sports Direct and get a shitty groin guard that says it's got 50% off on it and you think, okay, I'll save myself a few quid. No, you haven't because you're going to have to go back and get the most expensive one that you should have bought all along and you've just wasted. Do they come in different sizes? Yes, they do. But the best one actually comes in uh I think it's it comes in two sizes male and female. The best one I've found is the low blow, which is spelled L double O B L double O because in the world we live in everything has to be trendily misspelt. Uh but that is I think it's a Swedish company that make a traditional Thai style cup, but they do it out of reinforced plastic rather than metal. The Thai ones tend to be metal. And this is made out of um, some kind of fancy plastic, which is sledgehammer tested, which is just a thought that brings water to my eyes, imagining a groin guard being sledgehammer tested. I don't know if the guy's wearing one when they test it or not. But uh, 
go to Amazon and get one of those if you're doing Krav Maga or you're doing anything because all the other groin guards I've ever tried are useless. And I, I did get an extra large one for a while just because I thought the, the bigger it is, the, the better it's going to be. And actually what you find is you just can't manoeuvre as easily in it. We've got a, a squirrel has just come. We've got yes. a window in front of us and there's a squirrel just there. He's a fat bugger as well, isn't he? he looks I'm going to hazard a guess and say that's probably the first squirrel that's ever appeared on a podcast. <laughs> um, we should interview him. We should get him in here. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he probably knows a fuck of a lot more about foraging than either of us do. I, in our family, our euphemism for bulls is squirrel nuts. <laughs> my son loves whacking me in the squirrel nuts. Oh, my God. He doesn't want any siblings then, does he? He doesn't quite, <laughs> he doesn't quite get how painful that, that, yeah. can, that can be. You know? But he ought to. Like My niece tramples on mine occasionally. You know, she'll come running into my room in the morning. Uncle Stephen, get up. We need to do this or do that. And she'll jump on the bed and trample on the bloody things. That's part of having kids, mate. You just, ooh, you're like yeah. that. that. That's at least... Uh, but she hasn't know. got any bollocks, so she can be forgiven for that. What's your son's excuse? <laughs> you know, I'll be, I'll be sitting on the couch and she'll run into the room. Uncle Stephen, we've got to watch Brave. And she'll jump on my lap. <laughs> and there go my testicles and she'll grab the remote off me. Yeah, my, I... I've taught Harry to punch, mm. you know, put his body behind it. And my God, he's four years old and he can hit so hard. Yeah. Well, apple never falls far from the tree, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think this apple did. <laughs> but it's funny you should say that because I've said to my partner that I want him in a martial arts class mm. at the earliest possible opportunity. Yeah. And the reason for that is I did judo for a year at, in comprehensive school mm -hmm. and even over the course of that school year so it's only a few months um, in all I learned enough skills to be able to defend myself against some of the biggest guys in school and mm -hmm. I don't know how school is now but when I went to comprehensive back in the 80s mm. you had to fight right. quite a lot and if you didn't fight you get bullied. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did judo at school too. And, you know, I wish I'd stuck with it. It's one of those things you really, really wish you just never stopped training. Well, what um, would happen is, um, you know, someone would single you out for bullying for whatever reason. And I guess that's twofold bullying. It's either they see, they assume you're a weak individual and they want to just exploit that for their own, um, you know, lack of self-worth, mm. so to speak. But then there's also, I think, this thing in men, women as well, I'm assuming, but that I think some get jealous mm -hmm. of, of aspects that, that they perceive of your character. Mm. Um, but in school, what would happen is I, I'd sort of let it go the first time or the second time. Mm. And then on the third time, I, it, it kind of depends how it was. I mean, sometimes I've just, yeah, I just really let rip and punch someone and, not really proud of that, but what, you know, what, what can you do? But mm. the other thing that would happen is because they're unsuspecting and they assume they've got the upper hand because they, they, they've got the power play, so to speak. Mm. If you put in a Uchimata or, 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 or a Okaribaska, whatever the names were, I can't remember. But, you know, it's all about balance, isn't it? And if someone yeah. is unsuspecting, 
then they are by definition not on balance. So just a simple push like that with your foot behind a leg and yeah, bang. And, and, yeah. and of course they never, sorry Steve, no. they never bully you again. Mm. So it, it's re- it really uh, achieves a result. The reason I want my son to, to, to learn the martial arts is to get that confidence. Mm. But also as an adult, I've met people I went to school with who were bullied and they're still suffering the, the psychological damage from that. They, oh, they, God, yeah, yeah. they haven't got over it. And I mean, I'm 50 now, right? I know I don't look it. I look 80. <laughs> but it's really sad. You know, you, 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 you having school reunions and stuff and you, and people aren't going because they're still, they're still got this resentment for, for what happened to them at school. And, and I don't want my son to go through life with that that baggage really right so. no absolutely and people think judo isn't an effective martial art because it's less fashionable now than it used to be but judo is a very effective martial art particularly if any guy wears you know attacks you wearing a jacket you, you grab the, the you know the sleeve and you grab the lapel and you just use that bloody thing like a steering wheel if you're any good at it you know there was was it brian jacks you're probably a bit young to remember but when i was young <laughs> last week yeah, right, five minutes ago. Yeah, but, but no, there was a famous guy that did all the sort of Olympics and stuff. I think it was Brian Jacks, and he was being interviewed once on a TV show, and the interviewer said something like, you know, have you ever had to use your martial art? And he said, yeah, I was getting off a train, um, and some old guy, well, you know, a grown man, and I, he, I, he's just a teenager, mm. came up and grabbed him because he thought, he thought he'd, I don't know, touched his bag or some, some no. such thing. And he said, sir, you, 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 you've made a mistake. It wasn't me. I haven't done it. Please get your hand off me. And this guy's holding him. And uh, the interviewer says, so you know, what happened? He said, well, I, you know, I, I warned him and he wouldn't let go. So I broke his arm. <laughs> And, uh, I think the world, the world used to be a more aggressive place, even within our own lifetime. I mean, I'm younger than you, but uh, you know, uh, e- even I remember the world in the 80s and 90s was a significantly more aggressive place. The way uh, the way I experienced it, you know, like when I was a young man and when I had had long hair, people would just say to you in the street, "Fucking woman," you know, like that when they passed you by, "Fucking freak," you know, like anyone who looked a bit different we just get this abuse all the time. And I don't think we're living in that world now. Like, you know, you go in the pub and people just go, you looking at my bird? You know, there was, I'm sure there's a lot of that that still goes on, particularly certain places. But uh, well, that, that fa- constant that, aggression, I think, that fortunately. That phase is, you know, of growing up, isn't it? Where you're, did you spill my pint? Yeah, that, yeah. Looking for the fight. Right. I, I like to think there's a bit less of that than there used to be. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know. Maybe someone can put something in the, you're watching on YouTube, put something in the comments. How is it now? Mm. Um, Maybe it's because I live in, in London as well, where, you know, there's so much difference. I, I can't stand that word diversity. It makes me roll my eyes all the time. It's everything's diverse. But like, I think it's because we're used to seeing different kinds of people um, that there's less of that kind of bullying and aggression in, in society generally here but maybe in other places it's very different yeah we've got the whole millennials thing haven't you I mean things certainly 
have changed. There's a lot of health and safety culture now, which mm. to, to some ends it's good, to other ends it's, mm. you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one. Well, I hope we're getting less aggressive as a site, even though it puts self-defense instructors potentially out of business. <laughs> I'd like to hope we were getting less aggressive, but for the right reasons. Yes. Not because we're all becoming scared or intimidated or afraid of, you know, conflict. Yeah. Um, but going back to what I'm always saying, there's one thing in the world I've, I'm coming to realize. It's love is the only thing. <laughs> Probably might, might sound a bit, strange to some but it it really is there's nothing to be gained certainly not long time by harboring resentments and anger oh, yeah. and bitterness and and judging and road rage and, and, and self-hate it's just all about loving you loving your inside and and then loving the, the, the from there to the universe outwards and and just becoming at one with that kind of universal energy, and not letting these mm. silly bits of human human behaviour yeah. kind of trip you up all the time and just add baggage baggage to your life. And so, if young people were fighting less for that reason, that would be an amazing thing. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. And the the thing is that we all have the shadow side. No one's, or almost no one, is. 100% evil or 100% good. Most of us are a mixture and it's to do with whether or not we allow the shadow side to be dominant in our personality or whether we allow our, our better half to be dominant in our personality. So we're never going to get rid of aggression. We're always going to have testosterone. We're always going to be aggressive and competitive and things. But what we have to do is we have to integrate the shadow. We have to recognize that there's darkness and violence and aggression in ourselves. And rather than trying to cut that out of us, which we won't be able to do, we have to channel it towards something positive. So instead of going out and drinking 10 pints and then wanting to fight everyone in the pub, you know, you go to your local martial arts class, you join, you get that aggression out of your system in a positive way where you can climb through a hierarchy, make friends while you're there, get to know other people in your community and maybe protect other people in your community as well. Well, as it's, it's like that Mike Tyson um I'm thinking of one interview in particular, but what was his his father, the guy that adopted him? And Kuzumana. Kuzuma. Kuzumana, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And they, they called him Kuz, did they? Or mm -hmm. Kaz or something? Yeah. Kuz. But anyway, there's one interview Tyson does. Kuzumana. I think that's it. Yeah. Sorry. There's one interview Mike, Mike does, and he's young and he's obviously immature, as, mm. as we all are when, when, when we're growing up. And he starts talking about like he wants to stomp this person's face in and like if he dies, he dies sort of thing. And <laughs> I think the, 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 the cuz guy heard him saying that and he was not happy. Mm. He's like, I didn't teach you this skill for you to just go and be abusive, you know, yeah. and, and be your sort of animal self. Um, you know, you've got to have more. Saying that about your opponent is a sign of your, your respect for your, for your own self, isn't yeah. it? You know, or lack of respect. For your own self. I just thought uh, for YouTubers we should explain yes. our cuts. These are called cuts. These uh, are actually denim cut-off jackets. 
That's why they're called cups. That's why they're called cups. <laughs> but uh, do you want to? Oh, do you want to explain? Uh, so we are friends and brothers of the Red Army Riding Club, and uh, which is apart from anything else, a charitable organisation. And the Red Army Riding Club are having their Christmas party tonight, and part of that is a charity fundraiser for a school for special needs kids, and they badly need to raise some money to get some trikes for these kids because a lot of them have mobility issues. So as well as a link to my Just Giving page, which you can still donate to even after the fight, we should also put a link to the Red Army Riding Cubs charitable action. It's not like a Hells Angels 1% of back patch thing like that at all. Uh, there are a bunch of people, a bunch of guys and girls who uh, who enjoy riding motorcycles, having a good time and raising money for charity. So. Yeah, just to explain how I got involved, I met Anton, who is our club president, on a snowboarding holiday. And then through Anton, I met SP. And Anton has founded the Red Army Riding Club. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of kind of history behind the name. So the red, I think, represents love, which is quite interesting. It's a club, not a gang. Probably quite self-evident. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be in a motorbike gang. But uh, I would have done when I was younger. I reckon no, it would have probably. suited me down to the ground. Oh, Some of the stupid imagine. stupid things I've done growing up. But yeah, so I met Antoine. He's an incredible guy himself. I'll, I'll get him on the podcast at some point. He's certainly helped me no end in life, especially since I've started writing and, and, and doing publicity stuff. But... He's an Oxford graduated Siberian, so from Russia, right? Uh, who's also Britain's leading authority on prison reform. And Anton founded this club, the Red Army Riding Club. And it was one new year, wasn't it? We were, SP has got an island. He owns an island or his family own an island. You can tell us a bit about about that in a minute, maybe, but we were on the island, <laughs> the, the Isle of Purbeck, which is a bit confusing because I don't think it's actually an island. But and so we're at um, SP's other house, you can say. And Anton asked me if I would be what was called a proposal, wasn't it? He yeah. proposed Pro prospectship. Prospectship, yeah. So he proposed I become a prospect to join the club. So I accepted, and he said, "What?" position in the club would you like so I said I'll be the chaplain bless you my son <laughs> and daughters and, and he ordained so, you there we are I'm the chaplain of the Red Army Riding Club hope that goes without saying I'm the spiritual uh, spiritual chaplain but it's a nice position to it's a nice position to have yeah no, I've always seen you as a holy man I feel like the the, the vicar on MASH the beard <laughs> Mash is interesting. It's set in Korea, right? In the, yeah, in the, in the, in the Korean War. In the Korean War. But actually, it's really about Vietnam. Yeah. Which might sound confusing. It's just when they put the show together, Vietnam hadn't, hadn't long ended the Vietnam War and it was too close mm. to be churning all that up for people's PTSD right. and all this kind of stuff. They couldn't make it about Vietnam, so they decided to make it about Korea, but it's why there's a heavy emphasis on the choppers flying casualties into the medical, into the medical tents. 
But yeah, they, they, there's a vicar on there, isn't there? And he's kind of a... It's been years since I've seen it. Yeah. Dude, this has been a lot of fun. Thank mm. you very much for doing it. Um, I'd love to chat all bloody afternoon, but yeah. I've got to go to work. Ah. Yeah. Well, we'll pick this up uh, another time because I think we could just chat for ages. We, we could. It's awesome. Let's do it another time. Yeah. yeah. When, when we don't have to rush off to work. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Red Army Riding Club, charitable action. Um, please, please, please get involved. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. And watching. And watching. <laughs> See you, friends. Take care. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.